A couple of guys on stage with me today. One is Jake Nolan, and the other is Carson Wiggins, and both of them are sensing a move of God in their hearts uh, to do some ministry in some way. You know, we're all called to minister. In fact, every one of us are ministers unto God and to the people of God. Uh, when you're saved, you're called into ministry, no matter if you're a teacher, a lawyer, eh, maybe not a lawyer, but you're a uh, <laughs> whatever you are uh, you're, we're all called to have impact with the word of God and the kingdom of God and, and serve the people of God and make known the good news of God but sometimes people are called to yield themselves vocationally in ministry and these guys are wrestling with that I don't know where that will end with them about their age I was trying to figure that out and it took me a good while nearly a decade to sort of settle in to God's calling in my life I want to be the pastor that pours into them, and I want you to be the church that pours into them as well. So I've asked them to be on platform with me today, and they're going to help us read the scripture. So let's look to Colossians chapter 3 today. We're going to look at the first 17 verses, Colossians chapter 3. And these guys are going to help read it. And uh, as you're following along in your scripture, listen to them as they're reading God's word to us. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are in above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is in your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked, when you were living in in them. But now you must put them all away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs which with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Thank you, Jake. Thank you, Carson, for reading. Today we're talking about living as Christians. In this whole series, we're talking about being Christian. And uh, last week we were talking about believing as Christians, and this week we're talking about living as Christians. Your living comes out of your being, so it makes sense that we would do it in that order. And Paul gives us some pretty direct comments about how we live as Christ, how we live as Christians. Now, typically we would be in a chapter-by-chapter, verse-by-verse series, but in this case we're doing a four-part topical series on being Christian and as we're doing so, we're losing a little bit of the context by not going book to book, chapter to chapter. 
Uh, last week we were in chapter 1 of Colossians. This week we're in chapter 3 primary of Colossians. So we sort of need to fill in the gaps to see where this comes together and how Paul is giving us instruction in this book. Uh, the book is written for us to know some very specific truths about God and, and his word that has been given to us, but it's also written specifically to a church who is experiencing some trouble. And Paul is helping them to come out of those troubles, specifically some wrong teaching that had been infused in the church. So if you go back to chapter 2, verse 6, 7, and 8, you'll read of those things. He says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So Paul says, hey, here's what you were taught, and that is to be rooted and built up in Christ, in the faith that you were initially taught. But then he says in verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So Paul is addressing the fact that there are some philosophies and deceitful teachings that have infused their way uh, through the people of the church, and they were being led into Christianity that didn't fall from the scripture. This was a different type gospel. It was a different type understanding of Christianity as if there could be one. There's really not. What these teachings were, were traditional teachings to help people to be strongly devoted, to achieve holiness through self-denial, and to learn to be intensely disciplined. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with those three, but I'm just going to outright tell you, you can't do them on your own. Uh, that is a tradition that builds into religion that is done in the name of Christianity, but that is not Christianity. Those traditional ways and those deceitful teachings will lead you to act like a Christian without being a Christian. True Christianity is a transformation of the heart inside, and it works its way outwardly. Religion does the opposite. Religion, which comes with traditions and deceitful teachings of people, tries to work outwardly and in internally, tries to work from the exterior to the interior, and it often does it by self-helps and those kind of things. And Paul is addressing that, saying that what you have learned was not what you are now doing and not what you are now being taught because what you are now being taught provides no transformation of the heart. It might act like a Christian, but it is not Christian. As you and I know, Christianity is not something that we cling to. It's not something we strive towards. It's not even something that identifies us culturally. That is what the world says. The world says you are Islamic by culture or you are Christian by culture or Jewish by culture. In other words, your mother and your father were probably Islamic or Jewish or Christian and thereby you are or your culture is raising you up in that way. That's foreign from the Bible. To be Christian is not to be in a culture of belief or a culture of mindset or a culture of actions or words. To be Christian is to be like Christ, to be transformed from the inside by Christ, to be made new by Christ. And the expression of that newness is what we term Christianity. 
it's that we have become like Christ because he has come into us so Paul is calling for the church at Colossae to be rooted and grounded and built up in the faith of Jesus Christ and since the inception of genuine Christianity there have always been counterfeits that have been offered genuine Christianity is actually an expression of God's transformation by Jesus Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit from within and the expression of that is genuine Christianity the devil, devil's counterfeit is an external appearance of godly practices without an inward transformation of the heart now let me tell you we can fool one another but we can't fool God with that God is looking internally he's not looking externally God looks at the heart mankind looks at the outward appearances so it's a deadly counterfeit and it provides just a real false sense of confidence to people who try their best to act like Christians so in receiving such a counterfeit we counterfeit we often have these little smug comparisons and I feel good about myself in my Christianity because I'm not like other people I'm not like the murderers or I'm not like the adulterers and Jesus cut right to the heart of that matter in his first message that was proclaimed publicly that we have recorded of in Matthew chapter 5. He says, listen, if you're comparing each other because you're not a murderer or you're not an adulterer, you need to know that's not the way I'm judging. I'm looking at the heart. Are you holding on to anger? Then it's as if you have already murdered. Are you lustful in your mind towards someone? It's as if you have already committed adultery. Why? Because God is engaging the heart. And he wants to have a new heart given to us that he alone provides, not something that we make better than. So as we're living out this expression of the newness of Christ, the expression of being surrendered and the expression of receiving this new heart is Christianity. It proves that we are immersed in Christ and Christ is immersed in us. And as we are immersed in Christ, we are immersed into his personhood and we are immersed into his word and we are immersed into his will. An expression of that is Christianity. So being Christian, living Christian should be identified by this transformation that comes by God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you go back, uh, it should be chapter 3. I think I've got it wrong on the handout. It's chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above. Set your mind on the things above. In other words, set your mind on the person of Christ, the word of Christ, and the will of Christ. Set your mind on those things. Now, that doesn't mean that Christianity discounts in any way moral behavior. It doesn't. Christianity is not about being morally good. Uh, there is no good in us, but with the transformation and the new heart that is given to us, suddenly we are empowered with the nature of God, which is good. And we can exercise out of that new nature that is given to us, and thereby that exercise is genuine Christianity, a transformation of our heart. So he says, make sure you're setting your mind on these things, not on the things that are earthly. So with that in mind, I want to mention five points that I think this passage addresses to. 
and probably we ought to be pressing towards there probably there could be others but i'm just going to mention five of them the first is this christian living begins as we are spiritually born again in jesus christ so if you've come today and you're wanting to become christian it's not that you take on our language and you take on our songs and you take on our attitudes and our actions that's not what this is about this is not you pursuing being christian this is about you and me pursuing christ and when we pursue christ he transforms us by faith we pursue him we yield to him and he transforms us and so our christian living begins with being spiritually born again born from above raised as he says in christ in verse one raised to to be new and then as we are new in christ by faith christian living occurs as we seek and set our attention on spiritual things so at first our focus is only on christ the one who can save us the one who is lord over all and we yield ourselves to him we dedicate ourselves to him and by faith he immerses his his nature in us and we in him that's to be saved and then the rest of our days as living as one is born again we set our attention on spiritual things he says in verse 2 set your mind on things above not things on the earth so as I have grown in my Christian living, I have grown in the purposefulness to concentrate on holy things. I'm not perfect at it, don't get me wrong, but I'm learning and getting better at concentrating on holy things, things that are above, rather than constantly things that are on the earth. My attempt at Christian living growing up and in my teen years and in my early years, even my early years of being called in my 20s, uh, to be a minister of the gospel i did not even have a true understanding of what the gospel genuinely was being how it was taught I, I was thinking that it was don't do these things and do those things don't set your mind on these things set your mind on these things and i've pursued those things without really being given to the things of christ and i constantly was thinking about what i shouldn't be doing rather than what i ought to be doing and there's a real shift when you understand verse 2 set your mind on things above not on things that are on the earth you see if i can give you a uh, an earthly example of this as i have grown older my wife insisted when i turned the half century mark that we have a annual appointment with a, a doctor anybody have one of those wives yeah and we're grateful for them otherwise i wouldn't darken the door uh, and you know what they want when you're 50 they want to start setting some benchmarks really want to do it earlier but when you're 50 they say it's essential set some benchmarks get your blood work drawn and they get do all these tests and then they can see when your body starts really breaking down they can show evidence to you that's what they're doing but anyway i had some things going on in my body and my doc says hey we need to prescribe this and that and I had already heard from people a little bit older than me that this and that equals side effects that I did not want. So I'm like, hey, doc, what can we do a little different than the prescriptions? And he said, well, what it's going to require, Randy, is a total change in your life because I don't have people in my practice over 50 years old, not many of them, who are not on these drugs. And I said, okay, well, let's try your plan first without the drugs and he says it's a total change in diet and exercise now i'm not good at this but i'm a whole lot better at it 
I have been on some fad kind of eating routines before and I knew I didn't do very well in that I'm a pretty disciplined guy I can do it for a certain length of time but when that's over with it's like more comes on than you had to begin with you know and when you're over 50 it goes in places you really don't want it I've always heard the saying when you get older your chest drops into your drawers and that's pretty true So okay, I knew I didn't want to go there, but I needed to do some things different. So rather than like a fad diet where they say you can't have this food, this food, and this food, I started on concentrating on what I can have. What do you want me to have? And he says, well, I want you to have green leafy vegetables, and I want you to have color vegetables, and I want you to eat legumes, and I want you to have these nuts that are healthy for you, and I want you to eat this lean protein and you know the list goes on there's about eight things that he says every day get this and what I came to discover is that if I will concentrate on the things that I ought to be eating then I don't have to concentrate as much on the things I ought not to eat and you know that carries on in life as well I've learned in spiritual practices that instead of me guessing as I'm flipping through the TV whether something ought to be watched or not or as I'm flipping through books or magazines, should I be reading this or not? Or surfing the internet, should I read this or not? Instead of making that guess, why don't I just go ahead and say, what are the things that I should watch? What are the things that I should read? And let me go there first. Now that has transformed the way I think regarding food and entertainment. Can I first go to YouTube and watch a good Bible teacher give me instruction in God's word before I go to the world tube and see what they want me to see can I first eat these foods and then if I want to invite little Debbie to the table I can invite her to the table but let me first eat these things in a way I think that applies to this verse not that I'm calling for us to all eat green leafy vegetables all day long but that we would set our mind on things above Stop worrying about the things that you ought not to be doing all the time and concern yourself with what God says to do. And as you learn what God says to do and what you set your mind on, then those things that are of the world are not concentrated on as much. Now, that doesn't mean you and I don't need to be disciplined. We do. But concentrate on the things of God, and you'll do well. My friends make fun of me, especially those that own restaurants, because there's a couple of them that I go to every week, and sometimes multiple times in the week. Because, you know, when you're wondering and you're trying to eat healthy, where am I going to go today? Well, I just cut that question out. I'm going here or I'm going there, and when I go there, I'm going to order this or I'm going to order that, because I know those are healthy. And so they laugh when they see me walking in. They start preparing down at Union Jack, today at lunch, they will begin preparing for me a field hand salad with grilled chicken and a balsamic vinaigrette of some sort. They just know that. And then I don't have to worry about the choices that are bad. What if you and I applied that principle spiritually? What if we set our mind on things above and concentrated there? What if we arrested our thoughts to the holy things of God and pursued them? What if the meditation of our mind was first on Scripture that we're memorizing and we're reciting it to ourselves and other people? Maybe that, setting our mind on things above, would 
counteract what the world is screaming for us to pay attention to. That's Christian living, where we pursue the things above. Set your mind on those. Number three, Christian living results in being hidden with Christ in God. I don't have time to really go through it, but there's several times in the book of Colossians alone that the word tells us that we're in Christ. Christ is in God. And uh, that has significant meaning. Here's an envelope. I've written the word Christ on it. And this is a little stationary card that I use oftentimes. It has my initials and my name on it. Uh, I could put your name on there, and it would be just the same. It just happens to be pre-printed with mine. So think about what this verse is saying. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. So here I am, hidden, my life hidden in Christ. Now, that in of itself has a powerful message, doesn't it? I mean, nothing can overcome Christ, right? I mean, everything in, in hell has attempted to come against him. All the foes of God have attempted to come against him and thought that they had done so successfully while he's suspended between heaven and earth on the cross bearing the sin of the world and he's dying. His last breath is used. It is finished. They thought it was done, that they had victory. Little did they know that Christ had laid down his life that he might pick it up again. Little did they know the crucifixion was actually his greatest victory and on the third day, he resurrected from that grave victoriously. So he lived his life victoriously over sin. He lived his death victorious over death in the grave. So when he says that you're in my life in faith in Christ is hidden with Christ, that's a big deal. What can overcome you who are hidden in Christ? Nothing. You say, well, Randy, it seems like the disease that I've been diagnosed with is going to overcome me. Oh, no, no, no. God will reconcile even that. He will raise up your body. You say, the hardship in my life is overcoming. No, no, God is reconciling all things that are broken to himself in Jesus Christ. And he will even reconcile that. When you are hidden in Christ, this is a big truth, but it goes further than that, doesn't it? He says that we are hidden in Christ and Christ is in God. Now, imagine the magnitude of that for a moment. You have the all-powerful king of the universe that you're hidden in, and he is in God. What can overcome that? What can overcome you? What can come against you? They would have to get to you through God, through the Son of God, and I'm telling you, by the power of God and the Word of God, it will not happen. You and I are victorious, and this truth helps us to see that. Christian living is living with that understanding. Now, notice that he says that we are hidden in Christ. Hidden in Christ means that not everybody understands you, do they? They don't see you in the spiritual reality that you have and that you're hidden with Christ you've got co-workers that don't get you they just can't quite understand you you've got family members who don't understand you spiritually you have neighbors that think you're a quack or a kook or a weirdo or whatever because you're not like them you know why that is because you are hidden in Christ 
they don't get that truth but I'm going to tell you one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord one day what is hidden is going to be revealed and you will no longer be hidden in Christ one day you and I will be seated with Christ and all creation will see that what a glorious truth that is this idea that you and I are hidden in Christ is a big idea our spiritual lives cannot be fully understood no but you and I will be reconciled and you and I will escape the corruption of this world and you and I will be eternally secure and are and are protected and blessed by Christ in God what a great truth Christian living is then fourth Christian living is purposeful holy living to live Christian is to live in a purposeful holy way he says put to death therefore what is earthly in you and put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator so no genuine follower of Jesus Christ claims newness of life in him and disregards the holy life that he demands now this might not be received so well in in some places of Christendom in the West but I want you to hear this God said through Peter's epistle be holy for I am holy if you're going to be connected with him and born again in him if you're going to be his body then he says be holy you can't disregard the command of God to be holy now you and I know that in salvation uh, this is this is the benefit some of the benefits and the realities of being saved number one we are justified the moment our faith is given to Jesus Christ who alone could take away our sin and give us his righteousness we are justified in the spirit God declares our justification All right, we get that reality that's part of the joy of our life in Christ that we are justified he makes peace with us uh, we have the great grace of God and we are justified by Christ before God and then you and I also know that at the conclusion of our time here on earth he is going to glorify us so we have the justification in our salvation and we have the glorification of our salvation what I am in spirit declared by God to be so by the washed blood of the lamb Jesus I'm declared to be righteous blameless holy before God he declared it rightly so not because of my deeds but because of what Christ has accomplished and provided for me and all who have faith in him all right that is which is in spirit now will one day be in bodily form I will be resurrected you who are in faith will be resurrected and we will be given a body like Jesus a body that's glorified and in that body there will not even be a leaning towards sin not even an inkling towards it no desire of it whatsoever much less that sin would be in us that's glorification all right catch this you and I often embrace and sing about the justification of Christ and you and I often sing about and declare the wonder of the glorification to come in Christ but rarely do we convince and sing and champion each other to the sanctification that God is doing right now through Christ and his spirit and that sanctification is that God is making us holy yes we're declared to be right before him but God wants us in this body to be holy and that's his spirit work to 
work in us out of this new nature that has been given to us holiness so you and i as christian living ought to embrace holiness and reject and put to death the things that are unholy look what he says in the scripture uh, put to death sexual immorality impurity passion evil desires covetousness let me just focus in on a couple of those because our society is so driven to passion and evil desire uh, passion is a a sinful lust that is a is a fleshly way it's an act of lust in some way he says you ought to be putting that to death christians and evil desires is the sensuous fleshly thinking this that we engage our minds in and he says put those things to death why he puts it all in a package here's five things that he puts in a package sexual immorality impurity passion evil desires and covetousness he puts them all in one package he says it's idolatry what how is that idolatry it's bowing to the cravings of your flesh it's bowing to the sinful flesh that you were born with it's bowing to something over that of god and so he says put that to death can i just tell you god hates idolatry and he should he's the creator of all things all things are because he determines them to be god hates idolatry and he says to us who are living christians he says put those things to death and then he goes further to say and put away anger wrath malice slander obscene talk from your mouth and lying why because those are not of the spirit of truth that dwells within you put those things away and put to death that which is idolatrous in in your life that's christian living christian living is a pursuit of the holy living of jesus christ who lives in us by his spirit you with me all right one more christian living is maturing into what god has already renewed now, i don't want to lose you so i want you to lock into that truth christian living is maturing into what god has already renewed seeing that you have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after its creator the image of its creator this term renewed is one that might get a little jumbled as we would try to explain it so let's go back to the scripture and let the scripture do the explaining and us do the receiving the term for renew is anakonao and it's a compound word ana meaning from kanao meaning um, new so it's for new this isn't a renewal like you and i think when a marketing company gets after a product and they say we got to spin this thing new and we're going to put a new package on it or we're going to put a new ingredient in it or we're going to say it's organic you're buying organic corn how is corn not organic i don't get that but at any rate we're going to put a little spin on it we're going to come out with a new way of listen that's not what the bible is saying here the bible is not putting a new spin on you neither is god no my friends god says randy be crucified with christ die with him there and be resurrected with christ be new in him there and that renew is a whole new me a whole new new altogether 
so I have really been disciplined to not show you pictures of my new grandson every single Sunday but this <laughs> Sunday not so much that's him at about a week and a half old just turned four weeks uh, this past Friday I'm just going to tell you perfection right there <laughs> perfection beautiful love him can't wait for him to interact with me more right now about the only interaction we get is eat and poop and sleep you know you've been there one day he's going to respond to me can I tell you that for nine months God was fashioning him and my daughter-in-law he did it beautifully everything about Pierce is exactly as God wants it to be the capacity that he needs for ministry ahead and he will be a minister the capacity he needs to minister in the name of Christ no matter what he does he has already been given the talents the abilities already given to him the DNA set what Pierce has to do is to mature into that so when I hold him and I look at him and I wonder what he is going to be and what he will do and I wonder what God's plans are because every day has been written about his life before one of them came about and when I have opportunity to pray over him and when I will one day speak into him God's truth and we will side by side be working in a garden and when I coach him on relationships whatever I am doing I am to help him to mature into how God has created him now let me apply it spiritually who you are created in Christ Jesus has already been set it's already done all the capacity that you need to serve the kingdom of God and the fullness of God's call in your life has already been given to you who you are in Jesus Christ is already given you have been renewed and what you're doing now is to mature into that and so what you're doing when you're reading God's word is you're reading it for the purpose of maturing in who you are in Jesus and what you're doing when you come on Sunday morning, be it in this room or in a life group or in a disciple group, whatever it is, it is that you might grow in maturity of what Christ has already created you to be. Growing in that. I'm going to tell you that's Christian living. That today I grow in the maturity of what Christ has already declared me to be. Intentionally doing that and my friends if you and I will pursue that life we will live the Christian life well and we will communicate beautifully the Lord Jesus Christ and his word may it be in us that kind of Christian living would you pray with me Lord, as we just ponder for a moment the wonder of being created new from heaven above. A new heart, a new nature, new life in Jesus. 
as we ponder the wonder of that, Lord, I pray that you would also stir in us a longing to be matured in that. And that that expression would be genuine Christian living. So help us, God, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.